the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 262 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. That's the heart of sin. That's what you must admit. That in coming to Christ, you, whether you've done some of these other things outwardly or not, inwardly, you have gone astray. You've done whatever you wanted to do, regardless of what Scripture says. In fact, we can be engaged in activities that are quite wonderful. But if we are doing them because we want to do them instead of what God wants us to do, then they are sin. Not because the activities are sinful, but because our rebellion is sinful. One way that we can know we are part of God's kingdom is that we grieve over those sins and repent. We're glad you're here with us today for Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is continuing a three-part message about the Sermon on the Mount. Our text is Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Jesus said in this verse, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In our last class, Pastor Steve explained that Jesus was speaking of mourning not over some physical loss, but over our sins. Let's continue the study now. Here is Pastor Steve. Martin Lloyd-Jones explained it this way. He said, to mourn is something that follows of necessity being poor in spirit. He said, it's quite inevitable. As I confront God in his holiness and contemplate the life that I am meant to live, I see myself my utter helplessness and hopelessness. I discover my quality of life, uh, quality rather of spirit, and immediately that makes me mourn. I must mourn about the fact that I am like that. A man who truly faces himself and examines himself in his life is a man who must of necessity mourn for his sins also, for the things he does. That's exactly the way it is. See, dear folks, every true believer enters the kingdom with tears. You, you enter that way. You enter with tears. As I said, it doesn't have to be, the Bible doesn't say that it has to be outward, physical, weeping, but always, always, there are internal tears of sorrow for our many sins against God. It's not a, a casual entrance. You, you enter weeping. These are the tears that Paul pointed out of repentance to the Corinthians. He said in 2 Corinthians 7.10, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation. He's just gotten finished saying that there, there are tears. There, there is a sorrow that's not repentant. Yes, people, people are sad over their sin. Some people, sometimes. But it's a sadness usually over being caught or consequences. A citizen of the kingdom is grieved whether he's caught or not, whether other people know it or not. He's grieved because he understands who God is. He's grieved because he has offended a holy God. It has nothing to do with, with personal embarrassment or being caught or anything like that. I remind you, Judas was very sad over what he did, but there was no repentance. Esau was very sad and even wept 
but there was no repentance. So this is a sorrow of repentance. It, it produces a repentance which leads to salvation. In other words, when we come to him contrite and broken in heart, because we see ourselves for what we are, that is what Jesus is referring to. We see ourselves the way we really are, proud, irritable, bad-tempered, angry people, jealous, lustful, mean-spirited souls. And you know what? We see it, and we hate this about us, and we're bothered by these sins, and they cause us deep grief and anguish because we know that we have grieved and offended our holy and loving God. How deep, how intense is this this grieving, this mourning? We want to be careful at this point that we don't minimize it, that we don't soften the blow. This is not an occasional touch of sadness that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a deep heartfelt grief, a, a deep inner agony. And the reason I say that is because the particular word that's used here in the Greek language that's used for mourning is a very strong word. There are nine words used in the uh, the Greek language in the Bible for uh, sorrow or tears or something related to that. This is the strongest of them all, and it's used to describe the deepest and most heartfelt, gut-wrenching grief. In fact, it is this word that is most often used in the Bible to describe the grief that comes with the death of a loved one. So, This type of mourning over sin that Christ was referring to is as deep and as intense as it gets. It's not a casual, once in a while, lighthearted touch of sadness. I want to take this a little bit further and and get specific at this point. And I say specific because there are some people who would acknowledge they're sinners, but they're very vague about it. They can't tell you in particular what how they've sinned, but it's just general. It's vague. It's it's general. It's um, kind of obscure. And you know what? It's impossible to mourn over ambiguous sins. It's impossible to mourn in general over sin. When Jesus said that life in the kingdom involves mourning over sin, he meant that there ought to be, and there are specific sins that bother us. Not vague sins. Not, yes, I'm a sinner in general. Yes, I agree to a doctrinal statement that says we're all sinners. He's talking about definite sins. And you see, that's that's the mark, one mark of a true believer. Unbelievers never face their sin. True believers do. True believers don't excuse their sin. They don't justify their sin. They don't blame others with their sin. They take responsibility for their sin. Just as David said, David did not in Psalm 51 blame Bathsheba for bathing on her roof. He didn't say, well, she ought to know that I would have been out here. What is she doing? He said specifically, God against you and you only have I sinned, and I've been a sinner from the very moment of conception. That's the mark of one who really knows the Lord. See, one of the ways you you can know if you're really a Christian, if if you've really been converted, is that a true believer no longer rationalizes away sin. They acknowledge them. They grieve over them. They're specific. They do not come to God and say, as they confess their sins, God, if I have sinned against you. When I hear people do that, I think, if you've sinned, man, name them. That's what the Bible means when it says, if we confess our sins. To confess your sin literally in the Greek language means to agree. If I agree with God, yes, I'm a liar. I haven't just lied. I'm a liar. Yes, I don't have a little problem with pride. I'm proud. That's what the, what the Bible is referring to. And I want to take you to Romans chapter 3 to just amplify this. In Romans 
chapters 1, 2, and 3, the Apostle Paul is putting the world on trial and proving that all have sinned, both Jewish people who had the law and Gentile people who, who didn't have the, the written law, but they have the law in their hearts. They have a conscience, and they know they've broken God's law. And in Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 10, it, it's sort of the climax of his argument here because he says, beginning in verse 10, and he begins to tell us how we have sinned. This is a picture of all of us. If left to ourselves without any restraints from society or a fear of consequences, we would all behave like this and take it to the nth degree. He says in verse 10, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is none who does good. There's no, not even one. The first thing we see about ourselves is that our very soul's disposition is to go our own way and not care about God's way. That's the heart of sin, to be independent, to do our own thing, be indifferent. All we like sheep, Isaiah said, have, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. That's the heart of sin. That's what you must admit, that in coming to Christ, you, whether you've done some of these other things outwardly or not, inwardly, you have gone astray. You've done whatever you wanted to do, regardless of what Scripture says. Secondly, he goes on to say in verse 13, he speaks about our words. He says their throat. Now, this is all of us, folks. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they keep deceiving. The poison of asps and snakes is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Not only do we see that our soul's disposition, our very makeup is to do whatever we want to do regardless of what God says, but now we see that we grieve over our words, the words we speak. He says our, our throats are like foul open graves spewing out words of deceit and bitter curses. Yes, we say things that hurt others. We say horrible things to one another. We sin by our words because our hearts are sinful. He goes on. He says in verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their, their eyes. In our, in our very makeup and disposition, we're sinful. In the words that we say to others, it reveals our sinful hearts. And now he speaks about grieving over our deeds because these are deeds of, of hatred and not peace. We are not by nature peacemakers. We are by nature haters, malicious people, people who if given the opportunity and we could get away with it, we'd kill one another if we could. Now that's what Paul says is true of all of us. Do you think it's true of you? That's the issue. It is true of you, but do you think it's true of you? Is this true of, of you in terms of do you mourn and lament over these sins, even if you're a believer? This is still what we struggle with. Is this, is this true of you? Do you confess them as God, to God and, and repent of them? Or do you just figure that everybody else is in the same boat and I'm okay, he's okay, she's okay, we all behave like this, what's the big deal? The big deal is that citizens of the kingdom grieve deeply over their sins because these sins offend their king. That's the bottom line. These sins offend the king. doesn't matter who else does it. If we do it, it should bother us. And it does if you're a believer. However, though we enter the kingdom mourning over our sins, the truth is, and this ought to be an encouraging truth, once we're in the kingdom, we continue to grieve over our sins. You never stop grieving. 
I think new believers need to understand that, especially because what happens when you're a new believer, you, you don't often understand why, why am I so burdened down with my sin? Why am I, as I get closer to the Lord, I, I think I'm, I want to grow, but I, but I keep seeing my sin. You know what? That's normal. That's, that's all right. That's the way it's supposed to be. We never stop grieving regardless of how much we grow in the Lord. In fact, that's one of the great paradoxes of the Christian life. The more mature you are in Christ, the more your sins bother you. Why is that? Because your love for the Lord is so much deeper now than at your initial conversion. It ought to bother you. You love the Lord now so much more than you did initially that when you sin against him, it's just more grievous to you. That's the way it works. And I think that ought to be a great encouragement. This is the warring that Peter says is in our members. Certainly this was true of the Apostle Paul. I I want you to see this in Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7, Paul, as a mature believer, writing the most magnificent of New Testament letters, in Romans chapter 7, Paul opens his heart and and just is very, very vulnerable and, and cries out that he's a wretched sinner. Now, I want, to, I want to affirm that Romans chapter 7 is not about Paul's pre-conversion days. This is about Paul as a believer. And while I can touch on it, you, if you have questions about that, you want to go to our tape library and get Phil Johnson uh, on Romans 7. One of the many times that Phil Johnson has spoken at Lakeside, he gave a magnificent exposition of Romans chapter 7. And I think presented a very, very strong case that Paul is speaking as a mature believer. But let's see what Paul says. Verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. He's establishing the fact there's no problem with the law. The problem is with me. Here's the problem. For what, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I am not practicing, for I am not rather, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. But now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Paul's admitting that even as a mature believer, he looks at his life, he just sees sin. It doesn't mean that Paul didn't obey. It doesn't mean that Paul was backslidden. It just meant that Paul was, was so godly and so spiritual that any sin grieved him deeply. That's the way it ought to be for all of us. He says in verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. That's one of the reasons why we know Paul is speaking as a believer. No unbeliever in his innermost being wills to do what's right. The, the human heart is hostile towards God. But Paul said, I, I want to do what's right, but I don't seem to be able to do that consistently. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I don't want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me. Paul, the great apostle, said, evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully, and once again, another mark of a a true believer, I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. Paul says, I agree with it. It's my desire. It's what I want to do consistently. But 
Verse 23, I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. And then notice this. He says, O wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? It's like I'm tied to a corpse here, and the corpse is me. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Here is the great apostle Paul calling himself a wretched man, crying out for deliverance. And I want you to know this is not the unique experience of of a great apostle. This is true of all of us. This is true for every believer. Paul was speaking as a believer, not, not as an apostle, experientially. The history of God's people verifies that even the most godly of his people mourn and sorrow over their personal sin. If you're not familiar with David Brainerd, you should. David Brainerd was um, an 18th century missionary to the American Indians. Godly man, a man who impacted many lives. In fact, I believe he had a great impact on the life of Jonathan Edwards, noted as the uh, America's greatest theologian. He was a man who lived only to be 29 years of age and and died serving the Lord as a missionary. A man noted, even to this day, noted in, in circles that read books about great missionaries, for, noted for his personal godliness and deep spiritual sensitivity. Here's what David Brainerd recorded in his journal on a wonderful date, October 18, 1740. It's my birthday, October 18th, and I just made note of that, though, hundreds of years before, but that's why such a special day. He said this, in my morning devotions, my soul was exceedingly melted and bitterly mourned over my exceeding sinfulness and vileness. On another occasion, Brainerd wrote this in his journal, what day, I don't know. It doesn't matter, but uh, the date. But he said this, at this time, God gave me such an affecting sense of my own vileness and the exceeding sinfulness of my heart that there seemed to be nothing but sin and corruption within me. This is a man who is grieved over his sin. The great English preacher, Charles Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers, said this about himself in one of his sermons in the year 1889. He said, brethren, when I have carefully considered and inwardly perceived the holiness of God's law, I have felt as though the deep edge of a saber had been drawn across my heart and I have shivered and trembled. What poor creatures we are. The best of men are men at best. And apart from the work of the Holy Spirit and the power of divine grace, hell itself, watch this, hell itself does not contain greater monsters than you and I might become. Strong words. Accurate words. You see, the way Paul and Brainerd and Spurgeon believed about themselves, that's true of us. Maybe we can't articulate it like they did, but the truth is the same. All Christians feel this way about themselves. They despise the wickedness they see in their hearts and lives, and they long and groan to be free of it. That's, that's why Paul gr- said that he groaned in 2 Corinthians 5. He didn't want to stay in this world warring with not only people, but warring with himself and Satan. He wanted to be out of here. If you ever get comfortable with your sin to the point that that you don't mourn, then something is very wrong. Either you have never truly been converted or else 
You're a backslidden believer, too absorbed with yourself to even notice that you're grieving the Holy Spirit by your behavior. You're you're so caught up in yourself that you don't even know that you're grieving him. So don't don't ever be discouraged as a as a believer, especially I say this to new, those new in the faith, by your inward struggle. The struggle is 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 right. The war continues. It's when you don't struggle that you ought to be concerned. It's when you give in that you should be concerned. But we do have this inward struggle. All citizens of his kingdom have that. It is normal for believers to be continuously bothered by their sin, even as they're growing in the Lord. That's the way it is. And that's why Jesus said, remember, that that those who mourn are blessed. Not a negative thing, it's a positive thing. But there's something else to consider. When Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, he certainly intended by that statement that the mourning would include the sins of others as well as our own sins. It's, it's, it, we would be wrong to say, well, we just, he just meant that we mourn over our, our sin, our own sin. That's true. But it goes beyond that. It goes beyond that. In other words, not only is the faithful child of, of God grieved over his own personal sinfulness, but it, but it grieves him to see the wasted lives of those who sin against the God he loves. That's what scripture teaches. Psalm 119, David said in verse 136, streams of tears flow from my eyes for your law is not obeyed. Isn't that interesting? David said that. He looked out, he saw his own people and and others not obeying the law. And he said, "I, I weep over it. That's when your heart is broken for the sinfulness of others. That's what ought to be in our own lives. Paul, I remind you, rebuked the church at Corinth because when there was immorality going on there, Paul said, you're not mourning. You're, you're proud about it. And I take it what he meant by that is that they were uh, tolerating it and they were very, very uh, pleased and, and proud of their tolerance. Paul said, tolerance, you ought to be mourning what this man has done. You should mourn him as you discipline him. And I remind you, too, that Paul told the Corinthians in his second letter, he explained his heartache over them and the writing of his first letter. And he said this, I wrote to you with many tears. It's very possible that the original manuscript of 1 Corinthians, which we don't have, no one one does, but it's very possible that there were literal tears on or, or tear stains on that manuscript. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah was noted as the weeping prophet because he lamented so much over the sins of his his people Israel. And mourning for for others certainly characterized the Lord himself. You know, it's very interesting that there is no record in Scripture that Jesus ever laughed. Now, I'm not saying he didn't laugh, but there's no record that he ever laughed. And I realize that's an argument from silence, but uh, that's a pretty uh, loud statement. But there are many statements that he mourned, many statements that he that he wept and, and grieved. He is known as the man of sorrows and one acquainted with what? Grief. It's not grief over his own sin. He had none. So where's the grief? It's grief over us. Remember how he wept, literally wept over Jerusalem because of their rejection of him. On another occasion, his heart was so broken over the damaging effect that sin had upon people at the grave of his friend Lazarus, that the Bible gives us the briefest verse in all of Scripture, Jesus wept. Now, why was he weeping? It could not be because of, of Lazarus. 
because he was going to raise Lazarus momentarily. That wouldn't make sense. Why would you weep if you're going to raise him and see him in a moment? Jesus knew that. No, I believe he was he was grieving and weeping because he saw the the heartache that comes from from sin's impact on people. He saw the mourners all around him. He saw the sadness and it and it pained his heart. And he saw the damaging effects of sin. And the Bible says he wept. And you know what? That should be our response to sin. That's all around us as well. When you and I read about the atrocities that go on in our world, we read it in the newspaper, or you see it on television news, or you observe it in the lives of friends and relatives and people you know, it should evoke not only feelings of disgust, I'm talking about specifically the atrocities, but also it should evoke feelings of of mourning and grieving. Pastor Steve Kreloff will wrap up this message from the Sermon on the Mount when we meet again for another verse-by-verse Bible class of the air. Pastor Steve has been serving since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you have been blessed by these classes, I hope you will prayerfully consider helping to keep them on the air. You can learn how by clicking the Support Us link at our website, versebyverseradio.org. If you would like to order a CD or a cassette with this entire three-part message, please call us at 727-239-0306. So far, Pastor Steve has painted a rather grim picture of the Christian life, but there is much more to it than... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.